Good morning. Even though the majority of mankind is barred from gathering in churches because of the global pandemic we're battling, this is still the day of the year when most people will think about their faith, will think about their relationship with God. When we think about faith, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees. It's easy to get so wrapped up in the details of faith that we miss the big picture. It's easy to get confused. I'll try to clear up the confusion this morning. We're going to ask and answer two critical questions. What is the gospel and what do we do with it? Uh, we've been working our way through 2 Corinthians. With, we're at chapter 10, verse 1. Let's, let's work our way through this text in order to answer those two questions. What is the gospel and what should we do with it? Now, Paul begins in 2 Corinthians 10, 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. In this passage, Paul characterizes himself much as Jesus did. He uses the adjective meekness and gentleness to describe himself. Meekness at Paul's time was a calm and soothing disposition. It implied moderation and kind of a gentle disposition. It's, it was contrasted with somebody with rage and, and savagery. And meekness was a virtue hailed in leaders, being slow to anger, willing to accommodate, and capable of showing pity was seen as something which kept leaders from an excess of severity and tyranny. He talks about meekness. He also talks about gentleness. Gentleness means kindness, reasonableness, fairness, and moderation. It was regarded as an essential quality in judges, since justice must go hand in hand with mercy. Jesus presents himself as meek or gentle and humble in heart. He did this to explain why his yoke is easy for those who are weary and burdened, harassed and helpless. Jesus' yoke is easy. His influence feels light because he treats his disciples as yoke fellows rather than as camels or donkeys to be loaded down. Now, although meekness and gentleness were regarded as virtues for those who were judges or those who were leaders, being humble was not seen in a positive light. Humility didn't have the positive sense it does today of being modest and void of wrongful pride. Humility at Paul's time was an attitude suitable to one who is more no ignoble and despised. It wasn't the attitude of any self-respecting person. When his opponents described Paul as humble, they understood it to be a reproach, a slam. They characterized Paul as too humble and lowly 
to suit their idea of somebody who was an apostle and a spiritual leader. And to be true, I guess Paul was less than awe-inspiring in terms of his speech and manner. His oratory left much to be desired. His physical appearance and mannerisms were not compelling and seemed to cause him to seem kind of incompetent, at least in the opinion of those who were his detractors in Corinth. Um, and they were less than pleased with the fact that Paul stooped to mending and repairing tents in order to, uh, to pay his way. They regard such work as only serving to lower his esteem in their eyes. They felt like he is only bold when he fires off letters from a safe distance. And in the opinion of some at Corinth, and he, were only, he was only a paper apostle. By contrast, the intruders, those who were discrediting him, they appeared to embody the very qualities that Paul lacked. They had a commanding spiritual presence. They spoke with eloquence, and they had more evidences of divine authority. So Paul, in this letter then, in order to defend the gospel, in order to establish the truth of the message, uh, he's in the uncomfortable position of having to defend himself against this smear campaign. Now, Paul might have been meek and gentle, but like Christ, who boldly confronted Pharisees and chief priests when they challenged his authority, Paul is prepared to defend the gospel. And we learn that gentle has a soft side, but it also has a tough side. A gentle shepherd needs to be gentle with sheep, but tough with wolves in order to protect them. Jesus certainly was this way, and Paul was as well. In verse 3, Paul starts to talk about his tough side. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to, de to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul uses wartime metaphors to make his point. He talks about we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. He says we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We're ready to punish every disobedience once your obedience is complete. What he's describing are the three stages of siege warfare. When you build siege works against a city that you want that was a walled city, what you did, you built a siege ramp that would eventually starve the inhabitants of the city. You would knock down the wall and in fact, there were, there were three stages to it. One, you, you destroyed the defensive fortification. You brought the wall down or the, the corner towers that people would hide in to, to get out of harm's way. That was the first thing. Then secondly, after the walls were down, you took captives. 
and then having destroyed the wall and taken the captive, then you would occupy the city and punish resistance. And so as we think then about Paul making this uh, statement about the nature of his ministry, it's time to ask and answer our questions. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? There's really a couple ways to answer this question. The gospel literally is good news. Good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. When at, Paul, at the time when Paul wrote, when the Roman emperor dispatched messengers to bring news to the cities of the Roman Empire, and when the emperor's messenger proclaimed news that brought joy to the hearers, the message was called gospel. Gospel means good news. And so what is the gospel? It describes it as something that is good news, that the message of the Bible is intended to bring a sigh of relief, something that we're glad to hear. Um, another way to respond to the question, what is the gospel? It's not just good news, but it's the message of reconciliation. And we looked at that verse when we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me read it again. Again, we talked about if if you want to give the message, talk about the message of the gospel in one word, that word is reconciliation. That's, that's what the message of the gospel is, the message of reconciliation. Let's um, what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've talked about this verse, and if you wanted to memorize a verse of the Bible that captures what the gospel is, this is the verse, I think. What is the gospel? What is the message of the gospel? And here it is in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. How are we to think about Easter? What happened at Easter? How are we to think about Jesus' crucifixion and his burial and his resurrection? This gives us the answer. What was happening? God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Break it down. It has to do with God. The message of reconciliation has to do with God. What was God doing? God was reconciling. What was God reconciling? God was reconciling the world. God was reconciling the world to himself. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. What reconciliation is, it's when you take a relationship that had originally been favorable and then something got in the way. And reconciliation is when the offended party sets the disagreement aside and mends the fences. And that's what the gospel is. It's, it's a description of what God sent Jesus to do, having determined that he wanted to take out of the way that stood in the way of a relationship, 
God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Um, so what is the gospel? There's a couple ways to describe it. It's good news, and it's the message of reconciliation. There's another way to see the gospel. According to this passage, listen to what it says in verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And this verse characterizes the gospel in a unique way. And what it would suggest is the gospel is a weapon. The gospel is a weapon. Um, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. When we think of the, the gospel, we think of ordinances. Ordinances are decrees. They're things that somebody gives you to do. They're laws. And according to this verse, the gospel is not ordinances, but ordinance. Ordinance is another word for ammunition. The gospel is a weapon. It's, it's something that you shoot at something. Again, that answers our first question and brings up the second. What is the gospel? The gospel is a weapon. Okay, that leads to the second question. Okay, if the gospel is a weapon, uh, what do we do with it? Well, what do you do with the weapon? You shoot it at something. You slash at something if it's a sword. What are we to shoot the gospel at? And what are we to slash at? Listen to what it says. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What we're to fire, according to this verse, what we're to shoot the gospel at is strongholds. A stronghold, when you have a city, a stronghold is in the corner of the city, and it is the fortified corner where you run if you need to take shelter from an attack. The gospel is a weapon that you shoot at the stronghold. And what that tells us is the gospel is not a little weapon. It's not a rifle. The gospel is a big weapon. It's more like a tank. And that's important because it, it helps us to understand something. The gospel isn't something that you shoot at people. It's something that blows apart strongholds. Okay, what are strongholds? It describes strongholds in this way. We destroy arguments and every, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Strongholds are associated with arguments and opinions. They are the means of thinking, planning, judging, evaluating, and problem solving. And when they are applied here in a spiritual context, what strongholds are describing is systems of sacred logic that are not accurate, that provide a barrier against us being able to know God deeply and relate to him intimately. What the gospel is to be shot against are expressions of sacred logic that misrepresent God, 
that misrepresent his purposes. That's what we shoot the gospel at. Uh, we think, I oftentimes when people talk about strongholds, they describe like the stronghold of anger or the stronghold of lust. And in this context, strongholds are seen to be behaviors, but that's not what this verse indicates. Strongholds aren't behaviors. They are beliefs. And it's important because we have to understand what we do with the gospel. Again, we're not to shoot the gospel at people's behaviors and say, you need to start to behave. You're doing this and you need to start doing that. That's not primarily what the gospel is about. The gospel is directed not against behaviors, but against beliefs. We shoot the gospel against thoughts and attitudes that people have that misrepresent God. J.C. Chambers died almost several years ago. He was an elder here at Hope, and when I was had the opportunity to, to uh, preside at his funeral, I talked about a dream J.C. had, and I'll repeat that again because it really does give an image. He had this dream earlier in his life, and this is what happened. He was in a home, and it was dark, and several people knocked at the door of the house, and he opened the door, and he saw figures that he described in his, as you tell me about the dream, as angelic. They seemed to be angels, and they just said this to him, come and see what the Lord has done. And so they turned and he followed them. They got to this place. They walked a little bit and got to this place. And what he saw when he got to this place is that there was this veil or filament that was hovering, was in the sky, and that was causing the rays of the sun to not be able to shine through. And then the angelic figures again said, come and see what the Lord has done. And then he looked up, and at that point, the light from above started to penetrate this veil and sear holes in it. And that gives us an image for what the gospel does. There are ways of thinking that disconnect us from God, that cause us not to see the light of God's love and the light of God's care. And when we don't see the light of God's love or his care, we start to feel distanced from him. And what the gospel is to do, it's to put holes in that veil, that filament, that way of seeing God, so that the light of God's love shines through. The gospel, then, is not flesh-piercing, but veil-piercing. You don't shoot it at people to get them to behave differently. You shoot it at what people believe in order to get them to believe differently. We said a couple things about the gospel then. The gospel is a weapon. It's something then you shoot at something. You're determined the gospel is not ordinances, but ordinance. And the ordinance, the ammunition of the gospel is to be aimed at veils, not people. The battle is won as we think about why would God 
reconcile the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, why would he give the gospel as a means where misinformation and misrepresentation of his message would be dealt with? Because the battle is really won or lost at the level of thoughts and attitudes. I want you to think about why we do the things we do. It's really about our thoughts about God affect our attitudes towards him and others and affect our actions. If actions come from attitudes and attitudes come from thoughts, then you know what transformation is? It's not just when our actions change. It's not just when our attitudes change. It's just what transformation is. It's when our thoughts change. When how we think about God affects our attitude towards him. And our attitude towards him affect our actions in this world. When the right weapon is used against the right target, it achieves the right results. The right weapon against the right target achieves the right results. The right weapon is the gospel, good news, the message of reconciliation. The right target, strongholds. Those misrepresentations of beliefs about God and his purpose that end up polarizing or causing us not to be able to see the light of his love and care, the right results, transformation, not just our actions, but our attitudes, and not just our attitudes, but thoughts. That's what Easter is about. It's about a story of the right weapon, a message of reconciliation, when used against the right targets, strongholds, that ends up achieving the right result, transformation. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the weapon of the gospel. It's good news, it's a message of reconciliation, but it's a weapon. And when we use this weapon against misrepresentations of sacred logic, thought patterns about you that, that are not in line with really what you purpose and what you're like, when the gospel is, is aimed at strongholds, then we end up experiencing transformation. I want to thank you for the gospel and for how it transforms us. In Jesus' name, amen.